The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, was already prayed earlier, but I repeat it because I'm thankful for it, that you do not deal with us according to our sin. You don't look on us, your people, and look through a lens of what we've done wrong. You don't consider us sideways from how failed and, and how, how full of shortcoming and you don't, you don't look at us like that. You look at us otherwise. You look at us through Christ in love. And I'm thankful for that. We, your people, are thankful for that. And when I ask you this morning, Lord, would you meet with us now in a way that, that reaffirms, that, that perhaps more deeply sinks into us that truth? That that's how you look at us? That's what you have for us. And will you, you use that then to push us on, to, to move us forward, to be a people who give that away to others also. Who give away, who love, who give grace. Make us a people like that, who see how you are towards us and then bend that outwards towards others to use someone else's expression who receive from above and, and bend it outwards to others seeing it and understanding it and believing it, hoping in it so bless us to be a blessing in this way Lord please and use this passage this morning a little bit towards that end but even above and beyond and around the passage will you meet with us and grow us Meet with us and grow us in the ways that we need. Make us new. Bless us and honor the name of the Son. In his name we pray. Amen. And to answer the question, yes, it is much brighter up here than usual. <laughs> Can't see any of you guys. <laughs> the lights must be adjusted for graduation because it's like, whew. You can see me, I'm sure. <laughs> a people who love one another. Of all people, that's what Christians are supposed to be. Jesus said as much in John 13. You're familiar with the passage, perhaps, if you, if you know that part of John. He said that his people, the church, would love one another, would be like him in this way. He loves us, and like he loves us, we would love each other. And it would be so unique that it would be actually the sign to the watching world around that we were his disciples because we, like him, loved the people of God. That's what we're supposed to be, the people who love one another. We're supposed to be that, and really, isn't that what we want to be? A community characterized by love, that's not just good and right and proper and appropriate. It's also sweet. Not syrupy sweet, sticky sweet, kind of 
It leaves almost a bad taste in your mouth immediately right afterwards. Artificial. We've all been a part of groups that act loving but aren't. We don't want that. We, we want the real thing because we each are nourished in, we thrive in, we, we grow up in, we, we grow well in a community where love is prevalent. Love, you've got to define it properly, of course, but love is incredibly helpful for us, incredibly helpful for the world, incredibly desirable for us and for the world. It's sweet. We want it. And then we want to give it. It's the kind of individual people that we want to be, such that if anyone knew us, anyone were to describe us to someone else, they would say about us individually or as a church, so loving. That people, that church, that guy, those gals, they are a people who love well. They really make you feel welcome. They are warm and kind. We want that. We want to be a part of a group like that. We want to be people like that. We want to experience like, like that. We want to be a people who love well and are loved. But of course, that's kind of hard sometimes because I've met other people. And when I bump into other people, sometimes that, that nice ideal becomes challenging. That brings us to our passage for today. This, this passage in Colossians chapter 1, it tells us something about the church in the ancient city of Colossae. We began this last week with the first couple of verses from Colossians chapter 1. Paul's writing to this church in the town Colossae. And this morning we find a report that tells us something about that church. It's the kind of church and the kind of people that we want to be. It's a church that loves well. And thankfully for us this morning, it's more than just a report that also gives us a, a simple roadmap of sorts that could help guide us into being this kind of church. One which loves well. So I'm going to read the passage and kind of trace out from it two real simple observations here that, that deal with first more how it is that God grows us, and, it, and I'll say it generically, but we're thinking about particularly in love, but it's how it is that God grows is kind of the mechanism of that, and then the second one is going to be how we respond to that so as to experience the growth. So it's kind of the, the two observations this morning from the passage. It's, it's a report that we're going to look at for kind of help and guidance. So let me read Colossians 1, verses 3 to 8, and then make two observations from it. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Colossians 1. 
two observations, and here's the first one, kind of how it is that God works to grow us. God grows his people by means of hope. God grows his people by means of hope. If we were to just glance at the end in verse 8, we'd realize that Paul is writing this after having heard news from this man, Epaphras, we see mentioned here. This guy is a leader in the church, probably the one who started the church in Colossae, probably still maybe the current pastor of the church, and he's brought a report to Paul, and this report has now influenced Paul's prayers for the church. Paul and company regularly, it was their habit, to regularly pray for the churches that they knew of, even the ones they hadn't personally visited like this one. They knew of them, they cared for them, and they prayed for them. And so now, verse 3, when we pray for you now, what do we do? Well, having heard this report, since then, we always thank God. We thank God. Why does someone thank another? Because that someone realizes that the other gave or did or said something that was needed and desirable and helpful. He, the thanker, thinks the thanked one is worthy of thanks. So right here at the beginning, we have to realize, we're thinking about this, and we're thinking about how do we become a people like this, a people who love well, and really the fact that Paul's thanking God says he thinks God did something. He's not thanking the Colossians for being so loving. He's thanking God for the fact that the Colossians are like this. So we're, we're going to be looking at this and saying, eventually as we get to the very end, what, what do we do about this? But all through we've got to keep in mind, this is the work of God. Something for which God should be thanked. He's done something here. And what's the good thing that he's doing in the church that we want him to do in our church and us? We see it in verses 4 and 5 in this famous triad, faith, hope, and love. Those three words are commonly linked together in, in poems and in songs even today because they are commonly linked together in the Bible in different places. Here's another example, another passage where these three show up. Faith and love in verse 4 and then hope in verse 5. And if you were to find them in other places, sometimes they are in different order and they are different structures, but this one here, we need to look closely at this because the words are not just tossed in. There's, there's a careful and deliberate ordering to them that tells us something very helpful, something important about how God grows us. This is what we want to be. We want to be about faith, hope, and love, and especially love. And so it's worth looking at this closely. First, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus... This is not what we might call saving faith in Christ. He's not saying, since I heard the report that you had become Christians, that you'd placed faith in Christ and become Christians. Logically, they can't be because this report has influenced the prayers that he already was praying. He's already praying for the church. He already knows they are Christians. So he's talking about something other than saving faith. These folks are people, here in Colossae, Christians, they are in Christ. They exist 
in union with Christ, included in him. We've talked about this a number of times before. mentioned it last week. And what's going on here, what he's heard in this report, what's going on is that their lives are being dramatically and drastically shaped by this reality. In Christ, they have faith. That's what he's saying. I've heard of your faith in Christ. It may, it's more clear to us if we flip it around. I have heard of, in Christ, your faith. Daily faith, in an ongoing manner. He's heard that they trust, they depend, they rely daily in an ongoing manner. Paul has heard that these Christians are people who really live characterized by faith. That they are not people who live only by sight. Of course, we all have to live by sight. We all have to live seeing what there is, seeing what's in front of us. We, we look at it. We, we have to consider it. We have to evaluate it. We have to think it through, look at, look at the realities. We do, but the key is they don't live only by what they see with their physical eyes. They see more. They also live with faith, seeing with eyes of the heart, you might say, or with eyes of faith, counting on what is unseen. So when you live like this, you're constantly putting two things side by side together. What I see with my physical eyes, what I see of the circumstances, what I see going on here, and what I see that's not seen. I'm bringing both of those things in front of me. I'm putting both of them side by side. What's around me and what is not around me but promised. Faith, if you think about it, faith naturally has a forward-looking component. That's what it is. You don't have faith in what's over. You have faith in what's not yet. And so they're saying, this is not yet. Here's what is. And this is not yet but promised putting them side by side, and to live in Christ with faith is to say, this one dominates. Yeah, I see the bank account going towards zero, but I believe God has me. Yeah, I heard the doctor report, and I totally understand that, and I believe God is good, and I'm never out of his hand. And my life is in his hands. My health is in his hands. The doctor said a 95% chance of this and 5% chance of that. Not really. It's a 100% chance that what God wants will happen. That's what faith in Christ looks like. Two things, always two things. And I believe what's not seen and it dominates and influences now, that does not mean that looking at the bank account going towards zero, we don't look for jobs. Hearing the doctor's report, I don't take medical action. It doesn't mean that. It means that I trust God, not what I see. When you think about it like that, you realize, oh, sure, it is certainly possible for Christians to not have faith. For a church to not have faith. Of course, sure. It's possible. 
So ask yourself, it's worth thinking about this just a little bit here. We're going to go in a slightly different direction here in a moment because that's where Paul goes. But it's worth thinking about just to be a people of faith in general. Ask yourself, well, which, which dominates? Do I find anxiety and worry dominating my inner life? Does resentment at my circumstances dominate my inner life? Does temptation win? Convincing me that the the way of sin is the better way. When you find, yeah, that's, that's what's going on, then what you're finding right there is, there I am not living with faith. Not living by faith. Trusting the unseen promise. Or on the other hand, you might find that when I, when I face temptation, I see God's promise of here's where life is, and thankfully, I veer off towards God. Ah, there's faith. Good. Thank God. Give thanks to God for that. So maybe it's worth thinking about that a little bit yourself, but Paul, as I said, goes in a different direction. He wants us to think about one thing in particular. Those questions and others like them, they might help you to think about faith in general, but this passage goes somewhere else. You might ask, how does Epaphras, how does Paul know that they are a people of faith, people in Christ of faith? Because some of those things I mentioned are are pretty internal, anxiety, temptation. Some of those things are, are rather internal. So how does he know this? And if you keep reading, you see, oh, of course, love. Paul said in Galatians that actually what counts in the Christian life, what's most important is faith working itself out in love. Faith working itself out in love. So you see faith particularly, especially, most importantly, in love. Which is why, verse 8, Paul's summary statement, his concluding summary statement, you are a people of love. That's the thing that he sees most, that's most encouraging to hear reported. They're people of love. Not the emotion, not, not just the feeling of love, but worked out love. The actions of love. Not just smiling and not just acting politely outwards, but worked out action love is about serving, sacrificing in order to do good to and good for another. Giving in some way that is needed by the other. Maybe not what's wanted always, but what's needed. Maybe not what's convenient or easy, but what would be blessing, what would be good to the other. It could be little or big, but it's serving and sacrificing, giving of self, laying down one's own life to do good, to give life to another. Love. It's a church that's like that. They have love, it says, for all the saints. 
for all the saints. <laughs> Who pinched the baby? love for all the saints, the whole church. They love one another, not just the lovely ones. There's a whole lot of challenge in the word all, all the saints, because we all know, I just walked through that earlier chapter, that earlier paragraph there about here's what love is, worked out, action love, sacrifice, giving life to another, and in some way, we all probably process some of those words and we think, sure, yeah. And there are some ways we see it immediately, see it as reasonable, see it as good. But then if you pull up alongside of all those words, that guy, think, oh, good grief. All the saints. That guy, too. And that becomes hard. It's, it's easy to love some people in the church, the ones you click with, they're naturally like, but others, it's less easy because you look at the cost, the, the sacrifice required, if I'm going to, that whole long sentence, sacrifice, lay down my life for so as to do what's needed by that guy, what would be good for that guy, what would be actually helpful for that guy, what he needs. If I'm going to sacrifice my life and lay it down in front of him, you sense, I sense that I'm not going to get any good return for that investment. I'm going to lay it down and it's going to be gone. And what I'm going to get back is, is just something kind of painful or boring or maybe belabored work of giving attention to an endless story that's full of details I don't care about and lots of complaining laced in it. And it's taken me how long? Right? Who has not been there? That guy is under all the saints. That gets hard. It's hard to lay aside our own comforts and our, our time constraints that we, that we feel as constraints and, and our preferences and to love those that are difficult in the church, let alone, we, we really should be thinking, uh, this is all the saints, but I know that right over here, Jesus is going to knock down the walls of the church, and he's going to tell me in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. So I, if, if in your mind you think like, well, okay, I can maybe, while I'm around that guy at church, I can suck it up. But then when Jesus says, Everybody, not just in the church, but people, it's, it's overwhelming. We are to love our enemies, which doesn't mean that we agree with them. It doesn't mean that we give them what they want. 
It doesn't mean that we resist them if they were to attempt to do evil. We may even have to resist them physically. But we are to have this disposition towards and this desire to lay down our lives to do good to everybody. All the saints and people. To serve and sacrifice to love people. That's really hard. How can we do this? Or remembering giving thanks to God. How does God grow us to do this? Paul's giving thanks because he says, God did this in you. How does God grow us in this? Well, look at verse 5, and here's the sentence structure is really important. There are two things in verse 4 which come from the third. Your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of, on account of, the hope causes the first two. The hope be the cause of the first two. Faith and love. God causes, God grows them in faith and love by means of the hope that he has laid up for his people in heaven. And that is hope as a noun, not hope as a verb. You could say the hoped for inheritance. The inheritance is the hoped for thing. That's the hope. Hope as a noun, not as a verb. And it's not, oh, always in the Bible and here too, it's not like cross your fingers, wish upon a star, hope it comes. It's certain. It's laid up for us in heaven. Secured there. We in Christ have a great, sure hope that is coming to us, and that hope is the cause of the faith and the love. And notice this. It's very important to notice this. What Paul just did in, in making that connection there is he rejected discipline and work and effort and obedience as the cause of faith and love. Not that it doesn't take personal engagement to think about how to respond properly to that guy. But he just cut off at the knees our typical approach. It is not about discipline and work and effort and obedience. That's not the cause. Have you ever tried that? That's how most of us go about this. We try harder to be nicer. Or, or to serve others more or more diligently or with a happier attitude. You hear a sermon like this and you say, oh man, you're right, that is hard. Here goes. I'm going to call that guy. But what that, what that is, though, it's just, I'm going to do it. And you resolve to do it. Now, again, I'm... I'm not against resolve. I'm not against action. Obviously, if we're going to call the guy, you're going to have to pick up the phone and you know, call him. But, but we, we, so often we veer off into, into the wrong path, it, often even in an attempt to do the right thing. We want love. We want to be a people who love. We want to be a community that's about love. And so hearing this, we say, yeah, that's right. But then we, we step off to the side and fall because we've attempted to do it by discipline or work or effort or balance. 
We've all been around a people who are really just trying to act more loving, who are trying to act happier. And maybe even we set up social systems where, where that's the right thing to do, and you can almost kind of feel it. You can almost feel the stickiness of the fake love. But real love, an attitude that comes out into action, it, it comes, Paul says, ultimately from hope. Hope causes it. How is that? Well, to keep it very simple, let me put it like this. Suppose you and I are at a party and you walk around the corner of the house with a cup of ice and an an unopened can of Werner's ginger ale. Werner's ginger ales, you can buy it in the stores now, but it used to be just a Midwest thing, a lot in Michigan, really. And you walk around and you bump into me a cup of ice and a Werner's ginger ale, and I say, whoa, how'd you get a Werner's? Wow. I've had a Verner's forever, not since I was back home in Michigan. Wow, that's amazing. You say, well, here, have this one. And you hand me the cup, and you hand me the Verner's. Wow, are you sure? Oh, yeah, sure. You got a whole bunch of them back there in the cooler on the patio. I said, it's simple. What's going on there? You gave from yourself to me something good. Maybe we'd say you loved me by doing good to me, by sacrificing from your own. And that was easy because you knew, you might, we might say you had faith, that back on the patio, we might say laid up in the cooler, is a whole bunch more of what you just gave away. Yeah, you, you don't, as soon as you give it away, you, there's a time there where you are empty-handed, but only empty-handed until you walk back to the cooler and grab another one. And the cooler is full, and it's unlocked and open to you. It is, and you know it is. I didn't, but you did. So you said, here, I'm going to go get another one. What makes love hard is that really we often think we're holding on to the very last burners. And there isn't any more to be had. And I look at this and I look at you in need of it and I say, if I give it away, I will be thirsty and dry and I will have no joy and the delight I was counting on will be gone, never to be refound. If I, if I sacrifice and give this to you and lay it down in, at your feet and put it into your hands, then I will be empty and at loss. There is no more of this. But that's not true. There is. The cooler is full. Heaven is full of a great inheritance for you, you in Christ. 
We feel like if, if, if I give away my time, if I give away this last bit of my resources, if I give away the mental energy required to sit and listen through your story, this guy, and if I, and if I give away the engagement cost, because I might have to say, whoa, 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 that's not true, and he might not like me for that, and this might be too difficult to do good to you. If I give that away, if I give away of, of myself and my resources and my time and my comfort, I'm going to be empty-handed and thirsty and dry without hope. That's not true. That's what we think, though. And that's what makes loving hard, because I view it as a zero-sum game. I have one thing, and there is only one, and if I give it away, it's gone. But God has laid up for you in heaven a vast inheritance, never-ending. It's full, and it's unlocked, and you have access to it. God be thanked because God did this. God made there to be an inheritance. God made it to be an inheritance for you. God unlocked the cooler. God told you where it is. God promised to fill it up again and again. It's bottomless and it's yours by the work of God. That's why Paul thanks God for it. God lays in front of, God makes inheritance and lays it in front of his people and says to our hearts, it's there. You will never be thirsty. Draw from this well, and you'll never run dry. Eat this food, and you'll never be hungry. So you can go back to the cooler, get a Verner's, and give it away, and go back again, give another one, and give it away. You can give your life away constantly because you're plugged into a bottomless cooler, filling you up. God has done something marvelous and how he grows us out of lovelessness, out of self-love, is to lay up a great treasure for us and tell us about it and convince us of it within. That takes us to the second observation. God brings this hope to us in the message of the gospel. So, preach the gospel to yourself. If you've been here for some time, you may remember that phrase. We talk about it every now and then, but we used to talk about it a lot more in a certain period in our church. But it's a constant because it's a huge piece of the Christian life. God brings this hope to us in the message of the gospel. So what do we do? Preach the gospel to yourself. Middle of verse 5, we see there the hope laid up for you in heaven of this, that's, that's the hope, you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. And notice, this is, this is important here to understand this, this word gospel that word gospel, it literally means good news. Very simple definition, good news. It's a message. It is the word of the truth. See the repetition there, the word of truth, the gospel. It's a message about what is the truth. It is not a to-do list. It is not a list of what you are to do. It's a word, a message about the true thing God has done. 
good news. News. It's, like, it's, it's just like when you pull up in front of the TV at 10 o'clock to watch the news, you do not sit on your couch with a list. Okay, what am I supposed to do? Tell me. You say, what happened today already? Tell me. Because you're hearing the news. This is a message about what has happened, what God has already done. And it came to them there in Colossae in verse 6. Indeed, it's going everywhere in the world, bearing fruit and growing. It's spreading wide and far. And where it goes, then it produces fruit, produces change. When they heard it and understood it, again, you understand a message. It's a word about the truth. Very important to understand that, that it's not a prescription about what we do, what God has already done. It's, it's good news. And why is it good? Because, very into verse 6, it's the message about the grace of God in truth. This is the best good news there could be. You think about good news is about what's been done that is grace, that is undeserved blessing and favor and benefit given grace. It would not be good news if it was, here's what you have to do to earn that. It's good news. It's telling us this is what has been done to give that. Grace. What we cannot earn or ever deserve, blessing and favor and benefit from God. We can't earn blessing and favor and benefit from God. That's the problem caused by our sin. God is holy and we are by nature not. And he has made abundantly clear what he requires of us, what pleases him, what honors him. And we all uniformly turn away from that and go our own way. Sometimes we do what he wants when we want. That's really doing what we want. When you do what he wants when you want, that's doing what you want. We all uniformly turn away from him and are sinners under judgment, which is about as bad a news as you can get. Under the judgment of God is what we deserve. But God did something more. God himself did something more. This is the message of the gospel. That the grace of God, this is true, the grace of God God himself came into the world as a human. This is Jesus. You know the story. That he came to be the sacrifice, the death on the cross that should have been ours. He came to be that sacrifice. A substitute payment in our place so that we could go free, be forgiven of sin. That's the good news, partially. That, that is the good news, but it's only like the good news the first half. Because if you think only through that, if that was all that they heard, that indeed is, is amazing grace. That God has acted to give what we cannot ever earn and deserve. That God has acted to give us a way to be forgiven. Yes, but you can almost see my hands here, maybe from your side. But then what follows that? 
he has removed off of us guilt, has removed off of us condemnation, so as to bestow on us something eternally positive. To bestow onto us a great, vast, wide, long, high, deep hope. To lay it up in heaven for us secure. To give us a little taste of it now, but, but to lay it up in heaven secure. This truth of God's grace, now this is beyond amazing. Understand this. The bestowal on you, Christian, the gracious giving, the bestowal on you of a thousand vast benefits because you are in Christ and because Christ is the beloved, graced treasure of God the Father. Because Christ is the one upon whom God the Father looks in all favor, from whom God the Father withholds no good thing, on whom God the Father pronounces every blessing, gives every bit of wisdom, gives all the fullness of joy, gives vast eternal peace, gives full and complete communion, gives every delight and every security, gives every blessing, every good thing to him. You in him receive. You you tag along in the best piggyback ride ever. You tag along with him and receive all of that. Which, if you try to define, okay, what about this, what about this, what are the elements of that? There's a thousand of them. Summed up sometimes by saying, kingdom shalom. I think best summed up by saying, love. That God will love you forever. And when that's done, forever after that. That is certain for you. You've got a foretaste of that now. You've got God dwelling within you. Loving you now with a bit of, you get to experience a bit of it now, the vast, wide, long, high, deep love of God in Christ. You'll know it. Vaster, wider, longer, higher, and deeper. If that makes any sense. You are blessed and full and wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. The cooler is full of riches and it is open to you and you cannot ever give it away to empty this is the gospel promise the message of great good news the truth about what God has done And if you hear that and understand, God has brought great grace to me in this gospel, then you realize, and as I hear that and understand it, maybe even right now this morning, God is again bringing great grace to me through this gospel message. 
What a benefit I've received even in this moment from hearing the gospel message preached to me. You know what I should do? I should preach this message to myself all the time. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, you should. God holds out in front of our eyes, not our physical eyes, the eyes of our heart. He holds out in front of our eyes, not just the difficulty of laying down our lives, but the reality of how he laid down his life for us in love and gave us a vast, wide inheritance. You have a life so you can give away your life. Seeing that and believing that, we are changed within to love like he loved us. So what do we do to become a people who love one another, let alone love the world? I'm not trying to say it won't involve any decisions and any conscious choices and any difficult actions. But what I'm saying is that that comes second. How God works us to be different people, for which we thank him, how God does that is by holding up in front of us the hope found in the gospel. So if you want to become a people that are more loving, ironically, you don't try to become more loving. Ironically, you turn and say, God, help me experience your love. Help me to experience, help me to see, to believe, to know your love for me. I want to become one who loves someone else. To do that, then turn and be loved. And then, God, show me how to bend that out. Show me how to deploy that. Yes, for sure, for sure, for sure. But not first. It'll never work. First, you go to God. First, you say, God, show me. Show me your love. Preach the message to me again. To see the grace of God and the hope he has laid up for us. That's what fuels in us. That's what grows in us faith, and love. Let me pray. Lord, will you grow us to be a people who love one another? And in fact, a people who love people. And will you do that by again and again and again showering on us, flooding onto us, Impressing onto our minds the depth and the breadth and the height, the magnitude of your love for us and the certainty of our security in your hands. Do that regularly, day by day, please. Build your people and make us a people who love one another. Thank you, Lord. We trust this to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address 
is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.